growing green to generate more green. Welcome to The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman. Each week, we plant the conversational seeds about cultivation and the changing climate of cannabis culture. We'll peel back the layers of benefits of the world's most versatile plant, from food to fuel, from remedy to resource. CannabisRadio.com proudly presents The Grow Show with your host, multi-award-winning grow master and respected cannabis consultant, Kyle Cushman. Hello, everyone. Gather around your bowls and tapes, bongs and rigs, drizzle some RSO in your coffee. I know what you'd rather be doing. This is The Grow Show on CannabisRadio.com, and I am your host, Kyle Cushman. Today, we are lucky to have industry icon and medicine man, Adam Jacques, to the show. Adam is the founder of the Oregon Microgrowers Guild and is known by many as a legend in the field of CBD development. His life's work is devoted to educating the public about growing medicinal-grade cannabis, as well as producing clean, full-extract cannabis oil for his patients. In addition, his tireless work breeding strains with record-breaking percentages of CBD may have helped earn him Canna Magazine's most influential grower in the Northeast Award, while the Canna Awards International Conference gave him a sledgehammer as trophy for the most influential person in the industry. But Adam Jacques isn't in this for the accolades. I've met the man. And I believe he sees the recognition as a means to an end, to get the word out about the medicinal effects of cannabis. To this ganja man, it's all about helping people. Adam's here to talk with us today about the advancement of CBD-focused medicine, as well as the evolution of Oregon's cannabis regulation and the ripple effect it's having on the medicinal community. Welcome to The Grow Show, Adam. Hi, thank you. How you doing today? I'm doing good. Up here in Oregon, it's pretty hot today. we got a lot of work going on, but it's good. It's good. Been up early, kept going. Now I'm going to stop and take a break. It's nice. Glad to be nice. here. Nice. Thanks for being with us. So it's another wonderful start to a growing season in Oregon, huh? You know, it's almost, this is Oregon, right? So every other day you can see some sort of different weather. But here recently I haven't seen rain for quite a while, which is kind of rare. So it's been really nice. Plants can go out early this season. So, yeah, it's been awesome. Man, you've got a wonderful lifestyle up there. I envy you a bit. You know, it was really fun hanging, hanging out with you at the last show. That's what really made me decide that I wanted to have you on the show. So let's start at the beginning. Give us just a brief history on how you first got into growing cannabis. Well, originally back in the day, and this is years and years and years ago, I got into growing cannabis kind of just to uh, have my own head stash at home. So like a lot of people, I started as a closet grower. This was back at the very kind of inception of the Oregon Medical Marijuana Program. So that's really kind of when I stepped into it and started learning how to grow I got more advanced into it and tried to go a little harder when my friend Frank came down with cancer. He had stage four cancer and he was looking for cannabis oil medicine that was high in CBDs, something that he could take during the day while still continuing to live his life and not feel, you know, he's a real busy guy. So he needed something that wasn't going to be extremely psychoactive for his daytime. And so that was about five years ago, and that's when I really got into learning about CBD and how to breed it and what that looked like. Oh, that's interesting. I was going to ask you what gave you your focus to start focusing on CBD strains specifically. Have you been able Mm -hmm. to help your friend, Frank? So Frank, the first bout, he was stage four. They couldn't operate because the tumor was too large. With CBD cannabis oil, we reduced his tumor size by about 90%. They were able to operate and remove the tumors. They gave him a clean bill of health, completely cancer-free. Sadly, a few months later, he relapsed, went back to stage four, and we 
used cannabis oil again, but there was nothing we could do, and we lost Frank earlier this year. Well, so sorry to hear that. That's well, all right. The work continues, right? There's a lot of people that need mm-hmm. our help. So let's talk about CBD for a little while. CBD from hemp or from cannabis, what's the difference? You know, generally what we're talking about in the United States when somebody says something is a hemp oil, it's generally a cannabis oil. A hemp oil is a federal denotation. If it's below a certain percentage in your oil, you can get away with calling it hemp, and hemp has a much different legal stat, you know, federal legal statute than uh, cannabis does. So you can take it over state lines, you can sell it as a health supplement, and so a lot of times when you hear somebody say this is hemp oil, that's just their way of getting around the law. Pretty much all of the hemp oil in the United States, unless it's imported, is going to come from a cannabis plant. You do have hemp oils. Hemp oils are going to usually come from other countries. Are they effective? You know, at that point, you want to talk about the entourage effect. And the entourage effect is all of the cannabinoids and terpenes in a plant working together. I feel personally that CBD from hemp oil is not... How I've seen it work with people is it's a lot less effective than a full extract cannabis oil. You're just taking one part of the cannabis plant and you're saying... You do all the work. CBD is fantastic. It has a lot of good to it, but I only think it's effective when it's mixed with the other uh, cannabinoids and terpenes. Sure. So are CBD-rich plants more finicky to grow than, than others? So when we're talking about CBD plants, you know, the original CBD plants that were kind of coming out were all equatorial sativas. Equatorial sativas, as you know, like to grow viney. They like to chase the light. They don't like to hold themselves up. Mm -hmm. They're kind of picky to grow. As far as feeding schedules and things like that, it will fall on the line with your normal sativas. Lots of training, lots of cutting back. But, yeah, so as, as we're going through, and those are kind of the original CBD plants, as we're going through and breeding, a lot of the breeding work I do, I'm breeding in structure, um, I am one of the first people to have an indica-dominant CBD plant now, which is much easier to grow, of course. I did want so to ask you about that. as we move forward, sure. I did want to ask you about that. So can you explain for our listeners the differences in the relationship between sativa versus indica when it comes to CBD varieties? In other words, why don't we see a lot of indica CBD strains? Because the original CBD strains that are out there all came from sativa. Whereas it's very easy to breed a sativa CBD plant because they already exist, an indica one has not existed. So for somebody like me to balance that plant out, have it be CBD dominant and still indica, took a lot of a lot of generations of breeding against extremely indica dominant plants and CBD dominant sativas. So as soon as I would find and test and find a strain that I liked that I thought had the ratio I was looking for then I'd back cross it back to that indica, and then I'd have to go through another 100 seeds or another 200 seeds to find that specific phenotype I was looking for in that genotype, then back cross again. So it took quite a while to go ahead and lock something down that had that sleepy kind of munchy-inducing indica effect with CBD dominance in it. It is quite a process to make sure that you lock that down. A lot of people will throw pollen from an indica at a high CBD sativa, and they'll call that an indica CBD plant, but generally when you pop those seeds, maybe one in 200 will show that indica dominance in BCBD, so 
it's it's difficult to do. It's a lot of work. I love it, Adam. That's why I call you a medicine man, because this isn't just a hobby for you. It isn't just a means of, of course, of making money. It's a passion, and this is it shows up in, in, in every sentence. I can hear it in your voice. It makes me very happy. There's really, with this, I don't. On the THC side, of course, I do a lot of THC growing as well. Recreational users, I'm happy to make some money off of that. On the CBD medication side, I really don't make any money. I pretty much give away all of my oils for free. I work with a lot of cancer patients, opioid-addicted adults, and specifically children with seizures, survey different kinds of seizure disorders. I've been working with a young lady yeah, named you know Lenny. We're going to get into that a little bit more in the second segment. Sure. That's a really great discussion we're going to have. Before we end up this segment, give me the top five CBD strains that are the most popular with your patients right now? Frank's Gift 2.0, named after Frank, who we were talking about earlier, the guy who got me on this route. Lucy's Lion, which is, you know, 26 to 28% CBD and around 0.5 to 1% THC. So that's my extremely high CBD strain. For like a one-to-one in that range, people really seem to like the Purple Frank Dog, and that's the Indica Dominant. People that like kind of the hybrid to sativa side of the one-to-one really like the Pennywise from TGA. That's a really nice CBD plant that people seem to like. And then, I mean, at this point, you know, I have over 300 unique phenotypes of CBD plants. So everybody's kind of got the one that they like to go to. So I'll just say what my favorite one is. And working with the Frank's Gift, we crossed it to the Sour Alien, and it's Sour Alien Frank's Gift. And it's the two-to-one, and it's hybrid, and it's just amazing. So I like that one quite a bit. Fantastic. That's really great info for our listeners. CBD is an extremely important medicine that we're just beginning to respect in, its pro- for its proper, in the proper way. We do have to take a quick break right now, so let's take just a minute to show our sponsors some appreciation, and we'll be right back. The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman will return once we cultivate through this short commercial break. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber Vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. Dr. Dabber, hurry! Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up! I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct! Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber, doctor's order. Less heat, <laughs> more flavor. I said palm tree. Yo, 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 this your boy, TJ, Shrimp, that James. You're listening to Dr. Bino on Cannabis Confidential. 
People were so excited to see you supporting our industry, and it's so important to see people who are mainstream, who are out there, that people look up to. That was my first one ever going to, so that was definitely a big deal for me. It's not just, oh man, just come smoke a bunch of joints. It's a lot of science into it. It's way more interesting than a lot of people might think who look down, per se, on what we enjoy. Cannabis Confidential, only on CannabisRadio.com. Time to plant some more conversational seeds. You're listening to The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back to The Grow Show on CannabisRadio.com, everybody. We're here speaking with Adam Jacques, a wonderful Oregon grower and medicine man who has a dispensary and works with kids, and he's a fantastic breeder. Let's start this segment off with the work you do with kids, Adam. Tell me a little bit about how that plays into your dispensary and, and the work that you do with CBD. So a lot of the work I do with, with kids, specifically the ones that I'm working with, they're my personal patients, so they just get free oil from me. I like them to work directly with me. Reason being, when I make oil for these kids specifically, we're doing individualized cannabinoid therapy for these wow. kids, so they don't all get the same oil. So it's not like a one-shoe-fits-all sort of medicine for them. So for each individual kid I work with, I have to make sure I'm dialing that oil into their unique needs. So when you're making an oil, you know, you go ahead and you do your extractions on your oil. You get all those separate oils tested. You know exactly what your cannabinoid counts and terpene counts are in those oils. Uh-huh. And then you can go through and kind of recreate those oils into the ratios and types that you're looking for. Specifically with kids, I do find some THCA is effective. So I'll use like activated high CBD oil and then I'll blend in THCA without activating it, which seems to help. So each each kid's different. Some some go more to the sativa side. The, you know, they're maybe lethargic and they don't want to do much. A little bit of sativa gets them going, gets the brain working. A lot of them with these seizure disorders, sativa options that are out there in the oils will make some of them cranky or worked up, which isn't great for the seizures. It'll actually cause more seizures. So for them, I like to blend in some Indica THCA to go ahead and help them calm down a little bit and work that way. Specifically, there's terpenes that affect people in different ways, so making sure that those terpenes exist or don't exist in that oil is very important for those children as well. When I'm starting with a child patient, what I do is I make what's called a midline oil. So it's a 50-50 blend THCA to CBD Mm -hmm. right there in the middle. We see how that affects them in a small dose, and then we slowly start working their medication to one side or the other. And the medications for these kids are always adapting because as they become used to one kind of thing, maybe it won't become as maybe not as effective anymore. So then we go ahead and we switch to something else, and we constantly keep adjusting to make sure that we keep the seizures under control. That's fantastic. Do How regularly do you get parents coming into you looking for help with their child? Uh, you know, in Oregon, I can only legally have so many patients, which is extremely frustrating. I get parents coming to me every day looking for help. What I can do is I can educate them and let them know Here's what we can do also with raw oil in the shop. I can teach them how to take those raw oils and mix the medications for themselves for their children, which is kind of nice. But, you know, now, and especially with Alabama passing the new law and all of that, I am very overwhelmed with parents looking for my help. They realize that the 
one-shoe-fits-all medicines that are out there that are kind of shipped nationally aren't as effective as individualized cannabinoid therapy can be, and they really want to work with somebody like me. So hopefully more people kind of try and come along and fill the shoes that that I've made at this point and start doing it themselves and we can get more of this type of therapy out there. Absolutely, man. So let's let's talk about now a little bit about the law. And there's a lot of discussion about medicinal versus recreational. And, you know, it's it's hard for some people to picture how the word recreational could be a hindrance or anything bad. Can you explain how one could possibly infringe on the other? So when you turn it into straight recreational and you take away the medicinal, at that point you've turned it into a substance that can only be obtained by people over the age of 21. At that point, they're no longer considering it a medication. So let's say in Oregon State, if they wanted to remove the medical program and just have the recreational program, these children I'm helping with seizure disorders, I wouldn't be able to help anymore. So whereas... On the recreational side, I do believe it should be recreationally legal. I do believe a lot of people that use it recreationally also are using it for medical, you know. Mm-hmm. The effects of it are helping them. But as soon as you take away the fact that it is a medicine and that's what we're using it for, and you say, no, it's just recreational and these are just stoners looking to get high, then you remove the ability to help a lot of people. Boy, this is this is a really tough subject because on one hand, we're trying to convince society that cannabis or marijuana is a safe recreational substance that adults should be able to use, correct? Correct. And then on the other hand, we are also trying to convince some people that it is an amazing drug with far-reaching beneficial effects, right? So so how is it that we convince people that it is both? Education. You know, a lot of people will come into my shop and they will be medically carded and they'll still kind of be like, no, people don't get medical cards for actual reasons. They just get it so they can buy cannabis. And so sitting down and educating those people, anecdotal stories, how this medicine has helped people, what that looks like, that's important. That's one of the most important things we can do. So it's just educating people and making sure that they know that here's what it does, here's what it's done for people, and it is a medicine. Just because we can enjoy it as a recreational drug does not mean that this isn't a serious medication. Yeah, very well put. This is, I think, this the struggle. This is the disconnect that going forward we have to get explained properly to the people who are trying to write these laws, write the legislation, and are actually... I wouldn't say on our side, but they're not against us. And they're trying to do their job, but they don't really have a a deep understanding of what cannabis is and what it means to our culture. So the more we talk about it, the quicker we speed up the evolution and the education. And you're absolutely right. It is all about education. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, the law that we just passed, we passed in Alabama, and they didn't pass it as a medical cannabis issue. They passed it as a life rights issue. Um, that those kids down there have a, li- a right to live, and, you know, they're all about pro-life, and this medication helps these children with seizures, and they passed it through under those pretenses. So, you know, it's, it's, feeding, it's feeding the laws to people in different places that make sense to them. You know, you have to find a common ground with them to make it make sense. Absolutely. Do you think Oregon's going to remain personal grower-friendly? You know, 
when they first passed Measure 91, which is the recreational law, they were very, uh, this will not affect the medical cannabis program. That was very clearly stated when Measure 91 happened. Ever since Measure 91 passed, all they've done is adjust the medical cannabis program. They're making it extremely difficult for people to grow for anybody other than themselves. Even like a mom-and-pop grow just trying to help people needs thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars in infrastructure and security and computer tracking software now, whereas before it was you kind of grew at home, kept it under the radar, and they were okay with that. On the recreational side, you are allowed to grow four plants. doesn't matter where, doesn't matter how. So I think that's kind of nice. It's four plants. That should be enough to keep you in cannabis and maybe trade with some friends. So I, I think they'll be personal grower friendly on a very, very small scale. Anybody looking on the medical side to grow for any more than like themselves, they come into a very sticky situation now. Mm-hmm. And then processing oils and things like that, unless you have a processor's license here in the state now, which is $4,000 plus a ton of work, plus working with the fire marshal, it's a Class B felony now. So they've made it extremely difficult for you know, your mom and pops or your average person to do any sort of thing in medical cannabis at this point. Well, I got to say this conversation has been extremely enriching for me, and I think that I want to do a whole show just on the importance of not turning over medical marijuana solely to global corporations. We, we I wouldn't this- tell any state, you know, that has any sort of recreational laws in the book that already have medical to really question what it is those laws look like and be very careful moving forward into a recreational environment and not to lose the medical. And vice versa. I, I think vice versa is just as important as well because, you know, there's a lot of reasons why people use cannabis. There's hundreds of reasons. Absolutely. And we can't list mm-hmm. them all in any single law. So, you know, we just need to free the weed, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. And, and regulation, legalize it. Just Absolutely. completely take it off the books. Yeah. Legalization through regulation is the only way to go. Adam, we are running out of time in this segment. I told you it goes fast. Thanks again for taking the time to come on the show. Can you tell us where your next speaking engagement might be and how best our listeners might reach you? Um, my next speaking engagement will be in Aurora, Colorado on October 29th and 30th at the Canna Grow Expo. And then the best way to get a hold of me would be go to www.oregonmicrogrowersguild.com, and there's a link on there directly to me. Thank you, man. Thanks for being on the show. We'll talk to you soon. we got to take another quick break for our sponsors. Uh, sit back, take a toke, and we'll be right back. The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman will return once we cultivate through this short commercial break. The cannabis business industry is growing. Business is booming. And as new opportunities arise in newly legalized states, each market is getting more competitive. Today, it takes more than just being a good grower. Do you have the resources to market and handle this ever-changing business landscape? Let Canna Management Corporation help you grow your cannabis business with our vast resources and experience to make your business a fully functional service company. Financial management, HR, sales, marketing, efficiency, and more. CMC has the experience and the expertise to improve your business and help you better meet the demands of your clients and customers. Call Canna Management Corporation and let our team get you ready to grow. 
415-269-8015. That's 415-269-8015. Or visit canna-management.com. Play as Ted Growing, expelled botany sophomore and the biggest grower in town, only on Weed Firm Replanted. Available on the App Store and Google Play. It's a lot of work being the biggest grower in town. Maintaining a room full of plants while dealing with a slew of eccentric customers, from a hardcore partier to the curious neighbor next door. Is anybody home? Help me expand my bud business by unlocking new strains, customizing my grow room, and completing challenges that you can't get enough of. Grow your empire so big you can see it from space. Low on funds? Don't worry. Weed Firm Replanted is free to download. Download Weed Firm Replanted for free on the App Store and Google Play today. Get growing, Mr. Growing. Educator, author, and advocate, Dr. Mitch Earlywine is here to tackle the burning issues. Author Catherine Hiller and her great new book, Just Say Yes, Marijuana Memoir. So I love the way you use time in the memoir. I started at the present time, and I described a visit to my dealer, and then I would go backward in time so that every chapter starts a little bit earlier. I do not feel that marijuana has in any way harmed my life. It certainly hasn't led me to the streets. It's led me to a more joyful life experience. Burning Issues, only on CannabisRadio.com. Time to plant some more conversational seeds. You're listening to The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. This is The Grow Show, and I'm your host, Kyle Cushman. Now it's time for our Ask Kyle segment, where I answer your cannabis cultivation questions. We have a lot of questions today, so let's dig right in. From Daryl I. He asks, hey, Kyle, my humidity is low. I live in the desert, and my humidity is too low, even with a fan-powered humidifier. My bedroom is 8 by 12, and I'm using metal halide lighting and 5-gallon DWC, deep water culture, buckets. My new clones aren't growing. How can I get the humidity up in my room? Well, Daryl, you started by getting a humidifier, but I guess that's not enough. Have you ever heard of a swamp cooler? A lot of people, rather than air conditioners, use swamp coolers in the desert. They throw off a lot of humidity while they're actually cooling the room. Otherwise, I guess I just have to suggest just buy another humidifier or a larger humidifier until you find that you can keep the humidity level up in your room. Uh, Maybe also think about sealing up the room a little bit better and going with CO2 and something like that. But definitely appliances are are the, the quick answer. If one appliance isn't doing the job, get a second. Next question from George M. Please help. I did 12 clones yesterday and put them in a tray with a dome. There's good humidity. I put them under a 600 high-pressure sodium light around 4 or 5 feet away. Indirect light. This morning, some of them are wilted, bent all the way over. I removed the excess leaves. Is there something I should do to save them, or will they come back? Should I toss them and start over? First off, George, you should not be starting your clones under high-pressure sodium light. You should be using metal halide or preferably really just fluorescent. It's a little hard to say if the wilting is natural. A lot of times, if you're not really super careful the way you handle your cuttings and the way you place them down and cut them and chop them up, they will wilt the 12 hours after you plant them, but they usually only wilt over about halfway and they come back. It could also be because of the intensity of the light, although I tend not to think that. It's probably just more about the way you handled them. Try to be a little more careful next time. 
and I would just spray them with a little bit of water. I suggest you do that once every 24 hours anyways, just plain water. And make sure the light's a good five, six feet away and see if they don't come back. I expect that there's a good chance that they will. From Diego P., I have a question about changing light cycles for flowering and veg. I have two tents running, one for vegging and one for flowering. My temps are getting too high during the day, plus it's more expensive to run them because the power company charges less for night use. So I want to start running the lights at night. How do I go about flipping the light cycles without screwing up my plants? Well, Diego, what I suggest is that you take about six days to switch it over. So, Diego, what you want to do is you want to take about six days to switch over the light cycle. You don't want to screw with the night cycle. You have to make sure they get at least their 12 hours of darkness. So extend the night by two hours every night, turning on the lights two hours later every night until you get the cycle switched over to the night and dark 12 hours later. Remember, two hours later, each night, you turn on the lights so that their dark cycle is now 14 hours instead of 12 until you get to the time that you wanted to turn the lights on. And I think we have time for one more question from Jason I. I'm a new grower, so I'm starting out small with one plant. I just planted my seed in a plastic cup and poked drain holes in the bottom. Used an organic soilless mix for the medium. I watered it about a quarter full, and I'm wondering if I'm supposed to see any runoff. The cup is clear, so I can tell that some of the soil towards the bottom isn't really watered. How can I tell her when, I, when I've watered enough, I don't want to overwater? Yes, Jason, overwatering is one of the biggest reasons for new grower failures, but you've identified what's very important, and that is that the entire volume of soil in the little cup you've got is not moist. So you do want to water until the entire cup is moist and you get a little bit of runoff, and since you've got holes in the bottom, you don't have to worry about freestanding water and you should be good to go. Well, that is the end of our show for today. If you want to submit your own grow questions, just send them to diane at kylecushman.com or send a message to our Facebook page at www.facebook.com slash thegrowshow. I want to thank our guests and producers for making the show possible. Make sure to check out my website, kylecushman.com, where you can find out where to follow me on social media, upcoming events I'll be attending, subscribe to my newsletter, and a whole lot more. You can find new episodes of The Grow Show every Wednesday by going to CannabisRadio.com or subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. I'm your host, Kyle Cushman, suggesting that if you don't already, add hemp seed to your diet. It might help you stay lifted. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.